Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Hello and welcome to the Answer Yes podcast. Thanks for tuning in. You know, I'm a huge fan and advocate for Andy Frisella and the Arte Syndicate. I've been a member for a couple years now. And one of the things that we talk about regularly as industry leaders, uh, entrepreneurs, CEOs, etc., is core values. And when I get a request from a publicist about somebody to be on the show and I look at their website and core values pops up, I'm immediately hooked because I realize how important it is and how many people don't assign core values to their companies. So I'm very proud to introduce Carl Motter, who's on the line today. Good morning, Carl. Hey, good morning, Jim. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for being on the show. You know, I hopped on the Vans Kitchen website, and uh, one of the first things that popped up was core values. And I was just so excited to see that because people don't get that. They don't understand how important it is to have core values in a company. Well, Jim, we use core values to measure ourselves and each other. We call each other role models because we make egg rolls, so egg rolls roll, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but we actually have conversations every quarter on our values of humility, excellence, love, generosity, and authenticity. And we talk to each other about, you know, hey, you didn't really show this value of authenticity, and here's some examples why. But more importantly, what we do is we have a program of high fives where we nominate someone for showing their values. And we really applaud that. And honestly, that's where we overwhelmingly live each and every day is, is hearing feedback live in real time with each other about how we exhibited those values. Yeah. Well, so just for the audience on your website, it says humility, excellence, love, generosity, and authenticity, which are all great core values. And I want to come back to those because I want to come back to Van's Kitchen and the egg rolls. I'm already excited about talking about My wife's got an air fryer, you know, air, egg They're rolls. Perfect they they the cook great, great in the air fryer. But um, the other thing that struck me when the request came through about you is it said, uh, our egg roll guy. And I thought, well, I got to interview uh, the egg roll guy. And you're somebody that said yes to a lot of things throughout your life. And I read some of your bio. Would you mind taking us back uh, a whole bunch of years and uh, tell us some of the things that you said yes to along the way that ultimately got you to Van's Kitchen? Sure, Jim. I'd be happy to. So my favorite and first story about my yes and why I'm here is how did I get here? So my father-in-law, mother-in-law, and my, at the time, fiancé, uh, we're all at dinner together. And there was another family that was with us. And they were kind of pitching my father-in-law, like, we'd like to work at the company. And and they left the, the meal. And me being who I am, I turned to my father-in-law and said, you know, I do a better job as a salesperson than they would be. And I just kind of left it there. So two weeks later, he calls me up and says, were you serious about working for me? And I said, well, no. <laughs> and he said, would you think about it? And so we had a lot going on. We had, we had um, applied for a loan from the Small Business Association to buy the building we're currently in. And I, I kind of turned to him and I said, well, how about 
if you get the loan, you'll need me. So I'll say yes. And if you don't, then you can't expand. They were kind of landlocked where they were at. But I said yes to the opportunity of being open to working with them. And that was the best decision I made early on in my life was to um, really see the opportunities that we had to grow. And had I not said yes to that, I wouldn't be here today. Gosh knows where I would be. I, I love how organic that conversation was at dinner with your father-in-law. And you saw a need there. And I don't know, maybe you wanted to warn him that there's much better people out there than the others at the table. And you could have been one of those people. Um, I took a job the same way over at dinner. I think a lot of times people miss those opportunities. They, they don't be on, they're not honest about their feelings or what they're hearing at the dinner table when you, you were honest and look what it turned into. It's true. The other thing that happened shortly after that was when I came on board, um, I'm thinking, all right, now I'm going to go off and be in sales. And he said, well, I would like for you to help me renovate the building. Mm -hmm. So I had to say yes to whatever it is, Mr. Van, that you want me to do. I'm happy to do it. So lo and behold, I was working like a general contractor, helping run the trades. And I ended up negotiating a lot of our contracts to buy the materials we needed, not on the spot, but to do a big purchase and then pull them out. So that led to him asking me to start taking over some of the purchasing functions in our company. Mm -hmm. As we were growing, our needs were growing. And again, I wasn't, I was never formally trained. I didn't go to college to be a purchaser, but I started saying yes. And I figured it out. And that, that challenge of, well, I can't do it. So I'm going to say no was I was more open to the I'm not sure I can do it, but I'll give it my fighting chance, right? Yeah. So I said yes to those opportunities. And those, again, led me to a different spot in my career. So um, 23 years later, I was the head of operations from the purchasing, sourcing, and um, food safety aspect of all the, the raw materials that came into our plant. So anything that was food consumed or touched food, I managed. What, just for the audience, for my own sake, what was your scholastic background before you got here? It sounds like you've done three major roles already without that being your background. Uh, you're correct. So I got my degree in marketing up at the University of North Texas, but I happened to minor in purchasing due to one of the professors that I just fell in love with. And he taught me so many things, really how to do purchasing on a shoestring budget mm -hmm. by using um, methodologies that you didn't really need computers for. Mm -hmm. um, so I said yes to a degree that I thought was going to help me in sales, but actually the, 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 the classes I took in college as electives really shaped my career as a purchaser and sourcing expert. Yeah. You know, I've been in kitchens most of my life, one side or the other of the counter there. And, you know, putting together what it sounds like you put together as a purchasing man um, for that build out, that's no simple task. I mean, where do you start at? Um, fortunately, Mr. Van eased me in because he was kind of giving me little bits of responsibility at a time. Mm -hmm. um, really where it came pivotal was asking him to let me take over the reins mm -hmm. and asking him to, to say yes to me saying that I can do this and 
it's really a full-time job. It's not one that we should split between us. Just let me help us grow. And he was, he's our visionary. Um, I was really more of the, I can get things done kind of guy. Yeah. So that's where I said yes to, I'm not a visionary. I'm not going to ever be the true leader of all things. Um, that I had to say yes to who I was and understand my limits and understand my strengths. Yeah, which isn't always easy to do either. It, you know, I'm I'm amazed at this dynamic between you and your uh, would have been future family in the beginning, but now your family and you guys are all working together cohesively, it sounds like. Um, has there been challenges and ups and downs that you're willing to share or ways to get through that? Well, like any family, you end up with, you know, kind of the family dynamics. So mm-hmm. we're all sometimes loving, hugging and and affirming. And then sometimes we get in our disagreements. And uh, um, I like to say that we we really built around that family value and we still live it out today. Now, um, our founders, Van and Kim, they've retired and, and they're really more of kind of like our seats on the board. There are advisors, there are sounding boards, but my wife and I have been running the company um, since 2013. Mm-hmm. And, um, but we continue to call this the family of Van's Kitchen. We call each other, in addition to role models, we, we really say that this is our home. And we chose the, the name Van's Kitchen because the heart of the home is in the kitchen still. Mm-hmm. We've seen that in COVID when people that food became so important to connect. And I was happy to see at least people were sitting down at the dinner table again with their families, which we had lost a lot of. Um, you know, your listeners may not know this, but in a lot of Asian homes, the meals are sort of family style. So I like to say I lucked out because I never have a bad meal anymore because when <laughs> we all order food, if I pick the bad dish, we all end up sharing it, but I get to eat all the good choices that everybody <laughs> else made too. So, um, and all that kind of is interwoven into our DNA, but with all our role models, we still, we still pray together. We break bread together. We eat together. Um, and we put love in every bite for all of our consumers. Carl, I don't want to divert too far from your story, but what you just said it is probably one of the most important messages we can all hear in this country is um, pray together, eat together, break bread together. And, you know, of all the bad things that came out of COVID and are, and are still evolving, there's been so much good, like what you're just talking about, being able to sit around the table as a family. What types of discussions did you guys have during COVID and, and these challenges as, as business leaders all around the dinner table, but yet still be in that family unit? Well, first and foremost, Jim, we felt the responsibility that we were called to help feed the country. You know, uh, you probably remember, and, and so were your listeners, at the very beginning of COVID, there were runs in the grocery stores for not just toilet paper, which that one never really made sense to me. Why did we need <laughs> toilet paper for COVID? Yeah. But it was, it was the foodstuffs. And we answered that call. We talked to all of our role models and said, we've got to keep healthy. We've got to keep each other safe, but we've got to do the right thing. Like if you're sick, don't come in and spread it to everybody else. And our role models really listened. Yeah. Um, 
we're a food plant. You, we couldn't immediately make everybody stand six feet apart because the, the amount of space we have between equipment, you just can't move them around. Yeah. They were built that way for efficiency. Every square inch of belting that we put our product on has to be cleaned. So if you have all this extra space, you're just cleaning wasted space. But our conversation back to what you were asking is, how do we keep feeding the country? What do we need to do? Because we knew there were people out there that needed the food to show up each and every day. You know, kids were at home. Um, people weren't going to work every day and grocery stores needed that food supply. So we did everything we could to keep working um, to feed people, even our own families. Yeah, sure. I love that story. So tell me about your products at Van's Kitchen. What makes them special? And, and by the way, you know, talking about egg rolls or different funky foods or fun foods, I should say, that we eat, it puts a smile on your face and, and it almost takes away from the seriousness of the business side of it. But, you know, egg rolls literally put a smile on your face when you're eating them. Uh, you know, a lot of times I've seen them cut in half and you're sharing them at the table with your friends and your family and your kids. My kids love them. And uh, it's, you know, another reason why I thought, well, oh, the egg roll guy, I'd love to interview this man. Um, talk a little bit about your products and why they're so special. So, Jim, we make all of our products in artisan batches. So we start the day with fr fresh ingredients. We blend them up. We mix them up, write them in there. Um, we lightly fry them. We freeze them to lock in all the freshness and goodness that day. So really, when you get them at the grocery store, they're probably not more than a couple days old because in terms of lifespan, they've been frozen. And it kind of puts everything in suspended animation. Mm -hmm. And but. Beyond that, when you take all these fresh ingredients, you get the flavors, the nutrients, and you're keeping them inside. Our goal is to not let the oil that we fry them in get inside so they're not greasy, they're not oily. They are really fresh, crisp, delicious. Um, one of the things we say is it's a great way to sneak vegetables in a kid's <laughs> diet because if a kid looks at a cabbage, they're not going to want to eat that sucker, I can tell you. Yeah. But when we shred it up and mix it with meats and things, it's handheld for them. It's more approachable. Um, and so they'll eat it, not thinking you're trying to give them all these icky vegetables. They're like, oh, this is good. Yeah. And actually, I like to say even a lot of adults at work, it's like my dad's not a big vegetable person. And so we get them to eat egg rolls because it is pretty healthy for them. Um, the wrapper's made with, with you know, wheat grain, and it's really thin, and we make them ourselves. It's like made a day before we make the actual egg rolls uh, because it has to have time to proof, mm -hmm. to, to kind of crisp up. And then, like I said, we're grinding all the different fresh ingredients we make it that day, and what we make, we, we sell what we can. We donate any of the rejects. Both the role models can take them, and then we donate them to the local food bank because mm -hmm. if we can't eat them because they don't look good. We can, we don't want to sell those, but they're still edible. And we want to share with those that are truly in need. Yeah. Um, and that was something that Van and Kim were passionate about was to help our community. We're not here to make money. We're here to enrich lives and, you know, society scoreboard is dollars and cents, but it doesn't be, it's not the only thing that we have to focus on. Hmm. You know, um, 
a lot of my fam- listeners are familiar. My brother was the CEO of In-N-Out Burger for many years. You guys have In-N-Out there in Texas. I worked there for a lot of years, and, and his family is the owners of the company. One thing that he was tasked with was to carry on the message of their founders and carry that throughout. And And he told me one day, he says, Jim, the hardest part of my job is to say no to everything because there's so many great ideas and people want to do different things. You know, They want us to do chicken or do this. And, and to say no to all these wonderful ideas to stay the path is the hardest part. And I'm hearing your story, hearing what you're talking about, but this Mr. Van is resonating in the back of my mind, especially his role as a director. What direction has he given you to stay that path? What things is he adamant about that you guys will always follow and never change? Jim, I think this is great for your listeners to hear. He said, do one thing and do it exceptionally well. Don't start doing a bunch of things and just doing them okay. Yeah. So he helps inspire us to carry on the tradition of making egg rolls. Jim, we're faced with, you know, there's a broad spectrum of Asian foods. We could be doing dumplings or appetizers or soba noodles or um, stir fry kits. All we do is make egg rolls. That's all we do. And we make a few varieties of egg rolls. We package them in different ways. They go to different channels in industry. But all we do is make egg rolls. And that's very unlike most of our competitors. Mm -hmm. They are typically a um, multi-corporate conglomerate that's making all different things and going every which way but loose. All we do is make egg rolls each and every day. And if we can't do that well, then maybe we should be looking at other options. But we have that honesty check with ourselves each and every day is we're trying to put love in those egg rolls and get them out to nourish people. And you got to... You got to do that one bite at a time because that's how people really do value your food. When you're taking that bite, if you don't like it, you're going to go, ooh, drop it, and, and that's it. You're done. Mm-hmm. They're not going to come back and maybe give you a second chance. And so we have to win each and every bite to make every bite the best one. And that's one of our mission statements for how do we execute our why. Your message resonates with me. I have a client. He's 95 years old. He was growing organic vegetables in Santa Barbara in the 50s and 60s, probably one of the first ones to do that. And his philosophy was he was putting white light into his vegetables, meaning they did everything they could possible to grow the the purest, cleanest, best organic tomatoes that you would ever see and, and all the other things, broccoli and, and lettuce and cabbage and things like that. And his son asked him one time to explain that to him. He said, well, son, if we harvested these vegetables and we put them in a box and we shipped them to New York and a guy takes that tomato and slices it open and takes a bite, he could feel the white light that we put into this. And that was the term he used, but you've used love several times which really resonates with me because I think when we put our best into something that the recipient of that can feel that. And I sense that in your story and and I love that you've used that term several times. Is that uh, something that your employees resonate with and, and speak of that often? Yes, Jim. So that's our rallying cry to really bring everyone to the table. So we talk about there's room at the table for everyone. Mm -hmm. We're talking about all different ages, sexes, colors, affiliations, religions, ethnicities, what country you're from, like, we feel like everyone was made to love and Mm -hmm. to be loved. And so that's one of our taglines. 
is it's made to love. And, you know, we believe in a higher power and we don't get into which religion's right or wrong. We just believe we all have someone that's bigger than us that we're accountable to. And, and that, that deity made us to love mm-hmm. and to share love with each other. Uh, during these tough times, you know, with some of the dissent in our country, we keep going back to, you know, if you just look at what's lovable about people instead of what's different, a lot of this will kind of start to slip away because we have more similarities than we think. Mm -hmm. And we tend to focus on the differences, not on the commonalities. And, you know, the other thing that we keep talking about is we all have to eat. And so we're trying to bring people together around the dinner table, around the table to share a meal, to share experiences and when you do that, people start to slip those differences and the divisiveness away. When you look across the table at somebody in the eyes and go, you know what? Your story is not a lot different than mine. Mm-hmm. Thank you for your perspective. Thank you for sharing a difference. But we're common. We're brothers or sisters. I love that messaging. You also have a message on your website. It says every single member of our team is a role model to those around them. And um, I think oftentimes we forget the roles that we play when we're on a team. You know, if you're not at the top, you just feel like you're part of the team in some cultures. But it sounds like in your company, everybody fills that elevated role of being responsible and helping the ones around them. When I meet our new role models, the first thing I want to tell them is my job is to make you successful. Because if you don't make the food, if you don't help us execute how we um, provide the why to folks, I can't do my job. Mm-hmm. So they're more important than I am. And I think when you look at corporate structures, they're going to be looking at me like, well, you're the chief revenue officer. You've got a really important title. And I go, uh-uh, I want you to understand you are the most important person here. And I'm humble enough to tell you that I, I want to help you be the best you you can be, you're a role model to me. I look up to you to come to work every day, to try your hardest, to have a smile on your face, working hard, because we frankly want people who enjoy the pride in which they're doing what they do. No matter what society calls that, it's a menial job. To us, it's not. It's important. It's vital. If cabbage doesn't get chopped, if they don't blend the vegetables, if they don't mix the filling, if they don't make the wrappers, all of those things are important jobs because if those don't get done, the egg rolls don't get made, they don't get packaged, they don't get shipped out, and they don't show up on the, the grocery store shelves for people to be able to get nourished by. Yeah. So their jobs are more important than mine. I really wish and desire that more restaurant leaders, food industry leaders would have the same approach that you have, you know, especially as we suffer through tough times across the country, you you go into these restaurants and employees aren't happy, uh, managers aren't happy, but what they're not seeing is the other side of the counter, in my opinion, is the customer that's coming in more than likely had a tough day one way or another, or is going through the same thing that you're going through And a meal is an opportunity to have a temporary satisfaction away from the burden of life, if you will. And 
that's what you're delivering. And, I, and again, I just appreciate that you say the love into your product because if more places realize that, not only would they be happier in their jobs, but their customers would feel that as well. And it, it's really kind of a bummer, to be honest with you, as I go to restaurants and stuff and people are just unsatisfied. It's like, hey, well, you have a chance to do something here. Yeah, and, you know, I really thank the, the servicemen and women that are in the industry, you know, helping to uh, take orders and, and, you know, they're working in the, in the kitchen. And I understand when things take time and, you know, I really try to give them that piece of like, hey, look, I know y'all are doing the best you can and y'all are backed up or you're short staffed. We really appreciate that you provided the meal to us. Let us have a chance to not work for that meal and yeah. you're doing it for us. And again, appreciating their servant leadership where they're serving us. Yeah. And, you know, I try to look beyond that dollars and cents and um, I will get on my soapbox. If you can't afford to tip your servers, don't go eat out because they're working hard to help serve you. And the majority of their pay is coming from that tip. And even if you don't like it, Give them enough to, to live on and tell the manager that you didn't like it. Don't yell at the server because it's not typically their fault. So there was a um, you guys have a beautiful Instagram page, by the way. There was some Thank you. A, an Instagram meme that was going around amongst some of these industry influence, influencers I'd mentioned earlier with Arte Group. And it was the hundred dollar chip tip challenge. And uh, it didn't matter what your bill was, but it was to leave a, a $100 tip for that server just to help them get through a little bit more of this COVID or the lack of customers, the slowdown, et cetera. And, um, you know, I saw a lot of posts. It was, it was fascinating how many people got behind it. So just a little challenge for you all out there because I'm with Carl. If you can't afford to tip your servers and, and be kind and thankful for them, then you probably shouldn't go out. Um, so do your best to help them. They're, they are serving you, as you suggested. Thank you, Jim. Yeah. So going back to your Instagram real quick, I mean, I like to look at all people's photos kind of in a, a snapshot. And what I see and what resonates with your company and your snapshot there is how happy and fun your company is. And in your description, it says old school egg rolls with a new school perspective. I love that. Thank you. You know, a lot of our consumers grew up eating egg rolls. And so we're trying to connect to the next generations. Um, you had asked me earlier, what's, what's, what's egg rolls about? Kind of what's our take? One of the things I didn't mention that we see is the way the younger generations interact with egg rolls are much different than their parents. The, our core customers that we were more familiar serving, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the younger folks, they don't eat themed meals like we used to. Probably, Jim, you, if your mom would have, say, done a, an Asian food night, she'd, yep. she'd fix noodles and, and you would have a, maybe a soup, you know, maybe miso soup. And, but there would be a, a theme to it. Whereas, like, my kids are the same younger generation. They'll eat egg rolls with Italian, with, with um, Thai, with Indian, and they'll mash them all up. Uh-huh. Um, one of the things we found through Instagram is um, it, it led to what I would call the deconstruction of the egg rolls. So we have folks that take the egg rolls apart and do things like make the soup out of a chicken egg roll. Hmm. Um, using the egg roll not as a meal, but as ingredients to something else. And so that's where we see that fun aspect. And honestly, 
part of my job is to keep things fun. We all work hard and people get focused on success, making their goals, hitting their numbers. But I always look at the teams and say, but are we having fun? Yeah. Because I can't pay you to have fun. But if you're having fun, you know, it's not all about the pay either. You know, we want to pay a living wage and we do and give great benefits and, and be a place where people truly are appreciated, not just um, a, a dollar on a paycheck, but all the other things they need to have a great life. But in the end, we want to draw people in because we're a place that we enjoy what we do. We show up at work every day enthusiastic to take on the day, not feeling dread like, oh, my gosh, now I'm going to have another, you know, eight hours here and I can't wait till I go home. Yeah. Well, Carl, um, we burned through my time pretty fast here. I'm, again, still on your website and now craving, of course, some egg rolls. Uh, I see that I can find them at Walmart near me. Do you guys have national Walmart distribution? We are fortunate that we do. We started off with Walmart. There were only 50 super centers around the country. Yeah. Um, last quick story. So yeah. uh, my wife, Teresa, and I come back from calling on Walmart, and Mr. Van goes, what do you mean you sold Walmart? They don't sell food. <laughs> and uh, we, we were kind of explaining to him, like, they're just getting started, and this may be something pretty big. And um, so we've been blessed that we were the first egg roll company in their super centers, which is kind of the food and dry goods combined. And we've been in ever since we started. So we've maybe sometimes had more or less distribution with them, but we're in multiple departments in their stores. Well, I'll be honest with you. When I was younger, I'm in my 50s now. I couldn't stand Walmart. I wouldn't go in the door and it just wasn't me. You know, I was a target fan. You know, you got those, I'm target. Or, um, but when I heard the Walmart story about how they started and how they were an outpost uh, in areas where you couldn't get groceries, where you literally, Hey, we, you know, it's Saturday, we're driving 50 miles to Walmart to get what we need. And Walmart, they strive to have everything that that farmer or that person needed in one store, a quality product at a good price. And so they had a, that's why you go into Walmart. There's a little bit of random everything. And of course now food for many years. Um, and you know, I took a different look at Walmart and an approach towards them. And I started uh, becoming a customer of theirs and I lived in Southern California. So we had everything to uh, available to us. However, now I live in Montana there's not much up here. And, you know, I'm in Walmart almost every week and I'm very, very appreciative uh, for their purchasing power and what they have there and their ability to deliver a little bit of everything. Uh, on the news today, the Canadian border just opened up back to the United States in Montana. We will be flooded. Uh, Walmart will be flooded today with Canadians that haven't been able to get into the U.S. for the last two years um, because we're the closest town uh, to the border. So let's hope that those Canadians come down, get some Vans egg rolls, take them back home. <laughs> I know, and I promise you, I will be at Walmart today to search for some egg rolls because now they're on my mind. Thank you for what you do. Um, but Carl, more importantly, thank you for your message of love and um, humility of your company and your position you said you're the CFO, but you didn't talk about money at all, except for that that's not your focus. And I really appreciate that. 
But, uh, don't mean to correct you, Jim, but thank you. I'm the chief revenue officer. Oh, revenue officer. Okay. Well, <laughs> I used to be the chief sales officer and somebody mistook me for the chief security officer. And so my boss said, let's change your title. Yeah. <laughs> but Jim, thank you for letting us have a chance to share because one of the great feedbacks we hear a lot nowadays is, you know, corporations don't care about people. They don't care about their, their employees. And, you know, we're trying to make a difference and say, well, that's not true. A lot of companies that have grown from humble roots still care about the people who work for them and go the extra mile to make their lives better. And thank you for letting us have the opportunity to share our story and to let people know that those, um, those dreams haven't gone away and they're still alive and well in America. We just need to, I say, get back to sitting around the table and having a meal again. I look forward one day, you come down to Dallas or I make it up to Montana we sit down and break bread together, Jim, and share a meal. Well, I'll tell you what, our our general egg rolls, our, our Asian food here in Montana is not that great. So if I come down there, I'm coming to your place for sure. Um, Sounds great. You know, last little plug about Walmart. What I love about them, and I realize you've been there for a long time, is that they took a chance on you. And, and you guys have been customers for a long time. Um, I follow uh, Barstool Sports, Dave Portnoy is the owner, and he launched uh, his one-bite pizza. Everybody knows the rules. And um, I thought, wow, i got to try that. He's like, we're at Walmart. and went in, and there it was. So kudos to Walmart for giving people a chance, bringing new products to places like Kalispell, Montana. And, um, Carl, keep doing what you're doing. Thank you again for giving us your time and your story today.